you see this hymnal here with the missing spine. It's been well used and well loved. Uh, we are replacing 50 of these things thanks to your generosity. On May 21st, we will have a dedication of the new hymnals. We're also going to do a hymn sing that Sunday. Okay, So uh, those of you who uh, gave money for that, I appreciate it. We have the, the hymnals in hand. We ordered them. We ordered 50 of them. Uh, we are producing book plates uh, for the front cover. So you can give a, a hymnal in honor of someone or uh, in memory of a certain event. There still is an opportunity if you want to uh, get on board with that. I got four, okay, for four different people, okay, people that I love, people who are part of this congregation. We're going to do something uh, different this morning than what is uh, in your bulletin, but we're going to do something that uh, is an old tradition here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. Uh, I want you to open that red hymnal. And go to the back to the scripture readings. And we are going to read responsive reading number 594. You see where that is? Way in the back there. Okay, this is going to be in the King James. So some of you might, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Here we go. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life, and we pray this morning that you would speak a word 
to us. We pray that your word would fly straight and true and that it would find its mark. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week I preached a half a sermon. And this week I discovered I actually needed to preach three sermons. And so we're going to compromise. I'm going to preach two sermons, but they're both going to be short. All right? And so that... So we will pick up on uh, Numbers chapter 15 next week, and we'll, we'll get back on track. This morning I need to do two sermons. One, I want to talk a little bit more about Numbers 13 and 14. We covered those in the last two weeks. And I guess my second sermon really isn't a sermon, but it is an update on some of the things that are going on in our congregation that I want all of you to know about. So let me begin by saying to you that Faith and fear are like oil and water. Faith and fear are like oil and water. Faith is more than believing some facts about God. Faith is more than giving your intellectual assent to certain statements in our creeds. Yes, we have to believe the right things in order to have genuine faith, but just believing the right things is not enough. Because the Bible tells us that the devils in hell believe those things too. Satan knows that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, but knowing that does not save him from eternal damnation. When I know the right things about God, that's in my brain, that's in my mind, in my intellect. For years I went to Sunday school, I attended worship services, I learned that God created the world, I learned that he chose for himself a special people, I learned that God gave those people a law, I learned the Ten Commandments, I learned the prophet saw that a Messiah was coming, I learned that Jesus was the Messiah, I learned that he died and rose again, I learned that the Holy Spirit fell both on men and women, and that the church was born, and I learned that the apostles taught what they had heard from Jesus. On Friday, I drove out to Pittsburgh with my wife Ava and my daughter Mia. We went to see Jimmy Hinley graduate from Duquesne University. There he is, the tallest man. How about that? Okay. I still think of you as a small person. I mean, you know. And those of you who knew him years ago, he's the same guy, okay? Same sense of humor, same winning personality. His brother is wagging his head, but I, I think. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy graduated last Friday, uh, and so Ava and, and I and, and Mia went, we went out there. And for Ava and I, it was a trip down memory lane because uh, the graduation was at Duquesne University, which is where I met Ava in 19. 89, and we visited that holy site. There's a brass plaque there. <laughs> the first time we met, we had a fight. We got. <laughs> you see, my wife is Swiss. She was born in Switzerland. She speaks a very charming Swiss German dialect. I also was born in Switzerland, and as a child, I, too, spoke the Swiss-German dialect, but when my family came to the United States, we only spoke English. And then when I met Ava, I could no more speak Swiss-German than I could speak Chinese, but Ava simply refused to believe this. 
And the conversation became very heated. I don't know what all she said to me. She mentioned something on Friday about the faux pas, the fashion faux pas, that I had jeans that were rolled up at the bottom. I didn't remember that. She remembered that. But at some point, she says to me, Du Bishop Börse Buep. And some long forgotten neurons in my brain begin to fire, and the light begins to dawn on me. Du Bishop Börse Buep, you are a bad boy, she said. So maybe I did remember some of my Swiss German after all. When I met, Ava, I knew all of the facts about God. I had been well-schooled. My father was a missionary. I had studied theology as an undergraduate. But when she met me, I was not a believer. I was a rebel. I didn't want to obey God. I wanted to obey myself. I was outside of the family of God. It was my future wife with her endless questions about the facts that I had squirreled away in my brain that brought me back to the faith that I had as a child. God, in his mercy and in his providence, used the questions of a woman who was not yet a Christian, who didn't know all of the facts that they teach in Sunday school, to rekindle my love of God and God's word and God's way. I had a brain full of theology, but my heart and my will were far from God. Yes, faith requires knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. Faith is a trust in God. And trusting is something that I don't do very well. I have a hard time trusting people. I would rather rely upon myself, upon my own intellect, upon my own strength, than rely upon someone else. To me, trust is very scary. And faith can be scary. It's like stepping into the unknown. It's trusting when you can't see. When we have a real and a vibrant faith in God, it is not just a bunch of theology in our heads. It is a childlike trust as we follow God, even when we don't know or don't understand where we're going or what's going to happen next. Jesus said that we cannot see the kingdom of God if we do not have the faith of a child. Now, Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, which we covered these past two weeks, we saw the children of Israel in a total panic. We saw their lack of faith. Of course, the Israelites believe that there's a God. They're not atheists. But God told them that he would give them to the land that he would give them the land of Canaan, but the report comes back from the spies that there are giants in the land, and they panic. They hear about the giants, and they're afraid they don't trust God. Now here's a real question, and it's not a rhetorical question. You can write the answer in your bulletin if you're brave enough. If we don't trust God, who do we trust? Some of you might say, well, I trust in science. Or maybe I trust the government. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's just a poetical way of saying that some trust in armies, some trust in tanks, but we trust in God. 
When we don't trust in God, who do we trust? It's probably different for each of you at some level, but ultimately when we don't trust in God, what we are trusting in is ourselves. In our wisdom, in our intellect, in our strength, in our ability to figure out what's right and wrong, in our cleverness and our acumen and charting the right path forward. When we don't trust in God, what we trust in is ourselves. People who say that they believe some parts of the Bible but not all of the Bible are really just saying that they believe in themselves because they are the ones who choose which parts to keep and which parts to pitch out. When we don't trust in God, we trust in ourselves. The children of Israel are told by God that he is going to give them the land, and they don't trust him. Ten out of twelve of the explorers said that the land is dangerous, and they panic. They don't follow God. I have had situations in my adult life where following God was genuinely scary. I've had situations in my time as your pastor where following God has been genuinely scary. I'm not the bravest guy. Fortunately, when God calls us to a particular role, he also equips us for that role. I'm mentioning that to those of you who are entering into a service in this church. Okay? God equips you for the thing that you're like, oh, I can't possibly do this. God will equip you. As your pastor, a piece of the equipping in my case has been surrounding me with godly elders and with godly staff. One of the things that happens in leadership, and this is true whether you're in the army or in the church or in business, is that tough decisions have to be made. And the rank and file get jittery. They get anxious. They get fearful. Sometimes they panic. Sometimes they revolt. That's what happened when the explorers came back from Canaan with the reports of giants. And there's poor Moses. The Bible tells us that he was the meekest of all men. And here he is surrounded by a million people who are losing their minds. They're sure that they're going to die. And so they decide to throw Moses out and get a new leader. But God provides Joshua and Caleb, younger men who were not spooked, by all of the anxiety in the room that was gripping the Israelite camp. God has provided me, God has provided this congregation, Joshua's and Caleb's, who have kept us on track while God has called us into scary territory. The other thing that God provides is our experience. Though sometimes... We forget our experience, but notice that the Israelites have received the most amazing signs of God's favor, of God's presence, of God's power in bringing them out of Egypt and killing an Egyptian army. And then they come to the giants and all of a sudden they panic as though God can't deal with that. It's good for us to remember those times in our lives when God has brought us through. It brings honor to God to remember those times, but it also calms our spirits. God provided for us in the past. God will provide for us in the future. Now, I know that some of you sitting here this morning, I can name some names this morning, are in the middle of really tough situations. And I also know 
that God promised to never leave you or to forsake you. And I know that God is going to see you through these present troubles as well. Faith and fear are like oil and water. Faith is trusting God. Fear is trusting ourselves. And when we trust in God, the fear flies away. All right, that's sermon number one. You know, when I was at Princeton, you were only allowed to preach 12 minutes, okay, which is not very long. Uh, for some guys, that's just the introduction. They're just getting warmed up. You know, it takes 12 minutes to get their, their pipes warmed up. But, but the rule at Princeton was that you could preach as long as you wanted, as long as it felt like 12 minutes, okay. So <clears throat> we're going to try to make this feel like a 12-minute sermon. Here's my second thing. I really, this is just an update. I want to update you about what's going on with Fellowship Presbyterian Church because things are progressing very rapidly, and God is doing some very exciting and surprising things there. When we came into the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, that was in 2015, we joined an organization that was committed to church revitalization, to church growth, and to church planting. We were told that every single congregation in the EPC is either a church plant or is the mother church of a church plant or is sending financial support to a church plant. Now, one of the reasons that the EPC is so committed to church planting is that the majority of conversions to Christianity happen in new churches. Now, I don't know why that is, but there is lots of research that shows that to be the case. When mature churches like ours grow, it's typically by transfer, people moving from one church to another, or it's by reproduction. It's one of my favorite methods. Christians have babies, and they grow up and become Christians. But the EPC has committed themselves to not only grow by transfer growth. They also want to help people who are outside of the church to come into the church, to be welcomed into the church, and church planting is the best way for that to happen. From 2005 to 2018, we experienced 13 years back on back of modest growth. Nothing explosive, just a point or two per year, but it was encouraging and it was the right kind of growth. You may know that Presbyterian churches are older and whiter than the United States at large. But if we want to have a future, we have to more accurately reflect the demographics of where we live. And during those 13 years, we did that. For 13 years, we became, on average, younger and browner than we had been the year before. And that's the right kind of trend. That's the kind of trend that tells you you have a future. But then in 2018, we made a mistake. Just when we needed to make changes to accommodate the growing number of young families that we had welcomed, we panicked. We saw the giants and we said, no, let's just go back to Egypt. And it took us about a year to figure out what happened. But the session in 2019 formally repented of its decision 
And we called the EPC's Go Center, our church's revitalization team, to get us back on track. It was a courageous decision because it's hard to admit when you've made a mistake, particularly if your mistake is based on fear. And then you all remember in 2020, that was the COVID insanity. During that COVID insanity, I began to meet with a small group of young EPC pastors who wanted to plant a church in Philadelphia. That's always been a dream of mine. Our church, Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, through the years has raised up a number of pastors, most recently Chris Holland and Marco Ortega. We've had a steady stream of seminary interns. Currently, we have Sherry Hofstetter moving toward ordination, and I am the ministry mentor for Ian Clark, who is finishing up his degree at Knox Seminary. We have also had a number of our children, B.J. Crawford, Anna Crawford, Annalise Birkenstock, who have gone into non-ordained ministries. But I always thought that it would be wonderful if HVPC were to plant a church. It was just a a desire, a dream. I didn't really have a plan. But God had a plan. And in his providential plan for this congregation, late in 2020, I got a call from Tom Ricks, who's part of our denomination's national leadership team for church planting, and he says to me, there is a little Brazilian congregation over in Philadelphia, just four miles from your church, They want to call a Presbyterian pastor and be organized as an EPC church. Can you help them? Well, of course we can. In January 2021, that group of Brazilians who had been worshiping in homes and in rented spaces since 2012 came here to HVPC. They had the long-term goal of becoming an EPC church called Fellowship Presbyterian Church. They wanted to call Bruno Sousa to be their pastor, and they needed our help. At first, the help we offered was simply a rent-free place to worship. That saved the little congregation $25,000 per year, money that they could use to call a full-time pastor. But then the COVID crisis slowed down the immigration process, and the Brazilian church that was meeting here began to flounder. Pastor Bruno, who's sitting here in the front pew, was preaching to them over the internet. He would appear magically on the screens from Brazil, but that's not a great way to build a church. No one wants to go to church to see somebody up on a screen. And so Bruno asked me to begin to preach here in person to make it feel more like a real church, which I did. Matt Schapper was my translator, and I got to know the Brazilians, and they got to know us, and a number of HVPC members began to attend those evening services when I was preaching. Finally, in October 2021, Pastor Bruno did arrive, And he has worked tirelessly to grow this small congregation. He is the hardest working pastor I know. He works harder than I do. To the original group of Brazilians from northeast Philadelphia, not far from here, many families have been added, coming from greater distances, from places farther out in Montgomery and Chester counties. Last summer, Pastor Bruno had the opportunity to repay my preaching help by filling this pulpit for three months so that I could get my dissertation moving. Later this month, I will fly down to uh, Orlando, 
Pastor Bruno will fill the pulpit again. I'll pick up my doctoral diploma. And that would have never happened without the cooperation between these two congregations. During that same summer, HVPC also got involved in Bruno's immigration process by becoming his designated employer for his R1 visa. He entered this country with an R1 visa attached to an EPC church in Louisiana. But it made no sense for the Louisiana church to remain involved since he wasn't there. And so we took him on and we learned a lot about the process of how the INS works and how difficult and how complicated that is, but we gained some new expertise. In September 2022, Bruno was examined by our presbytery and he was installed as our assistant pastor for church planting here at HVPC. All of these steps were taken to accelerate the process by which Fellowship Presbyterian Church could become an independent and self-sustaining congregation. Also, in September 2022, we had a first. 14 Brazilians were baptized here at HBPC. Six of them were believer baptisms. The others were infant baptism. It was the largest number of baptisms that we had in this church since 1889. Okay, 14 on one Sunday. I think in 1889 they had 21 that Sunday. It was a big Sunday. Under our polity, those who receive a believer baptism in our church become members of our church. And so HVPC that Sunday received six new members, all of whom speak both Portuguese and English. In October of 2022, the HVPC session received 50 individuals from the Brazilian congregation as members of HVPC. Those were the core who had been with the congregation over the course of a number of years, and now they were received formally as members of our church, subject to our church government, enjoying the same responsibilities as any other member of this church. In 2023, we have continued to receive new Brazilian members, most recently Hector Macedo, 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 he's a music teacher, he's the pianist. If you come here at 6 o'clock, you'll see him on the piano. Last night, the Boyer Fellowship Hall was full of families. More than 100 people were there. He was there doing a recital with all of his students. The gospel was proclaimed. Both Bruno and I were there to speak with the people. The praises of Jesus were sung. God was honored, and all because of our new Brazilian members. While our Portuguese-speaking members and our English-speaking members may seem like ships passing in the night because we worship at different times, there is, in fact, increasing coordination and cooperation. This past year, Vacation Bible School was staffed and attended by both Americans and Brazilians. Our deacon's picnic this summer featured a delicious Brazilian barbecue. Yesterday, we had our annual work day to do some cleaning and repair around our campus. Half of the labor was provided by HVPC members who speak Portuguese. If you noticed the extra clean bathrooms this morning, you can thank some Brazilian ladies. Oh, and one other sign of increasing cooperation and integration between our English-speaking and our Portuguese-speaking members. Next month, we will celebrate here our first wedding of an American and a Brazilian. Thanks be to God.
At this moment, about 60 Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church members speak Portuguese. I haven't searched the record, but I think we would have to go back many decades to find a year when HVPC added as many members as we have this past year. For those who are interested in long-term trends, let me lay out some of the figures for you. The membership of our church at the end of the pastorate of Doug Hookie, my predecessor, stood at 178. At the end of the pastorate of his predecessor, Bill Elliott, it stood at 219. At the end of the pastorate of his, successor, his predecessor, Stephen Kello, it stood at 440. At the end of the pastorate of his predecessor, Bill Groff, it stood at 514. And at the end of the pastorate of Leonard Clayton, our membership stood at 723. Pastor Clayton, who retired in 1970, raise your hand if you were not alive in 1970. <laughs> this is ancient history for you. Way back in 1970. Who was the president? I guess that was Dick Nixon back then. More than half a century ago, Leonard Clayton was the last pastor of this church to end his time with us with more members than he began with. It has always been my belief that that long-term, half-century losing streak needed to stop. We had 178 members when I arrived. Our membership this morning is 231. So how does a church grow? Well, a church grows by being attractive. A church grows by constantly welcoming new people. Even if you want to stay at the same size, if you think 178 is the perfect size of a church, even if you want to stay at that size, you still have to be attracting new people because, you know, a church is like a river. It's not like a pond. You can't just dam up the water and think that it's always going to stay there because the water evaporates and it turns stagnant and fetid because water always seeps out. If you want to even stay the same size... You have to always be attracting and integrating new people. Let's talk about the 178 who were on our rolls when I arrived. Of those 178, 44 are still on the rolls. I've done almost 100 funerals, about five per year. And people move, particularly young people who are in their careers, and others fall away or maybe they decide that church down the street has got a better COVID policy. Of the 44 who were on the rolls in 2005, who were still on those rolls today, eight of them are homebound, no longer able to come to church. I visit them, but you're not going to see them here in the pews. 19 are inactive or have moved away. They really should be removed from the roles, and the session, by the way, has been ruthlessly removing people from our roles every single month, people that we haven't seen over years. So of the 178 who were here when I arrived, there are 16 who are still active and are regularly in church. I am particularly 
grateful for those people because those are the people who provide the ballast and the continuity that you only get in a mature church like ours. I love that we have members who have been here a half a century or more. I love the perspective that they bring. But if we treat the church like a pond and not a river, if we dam the church up to hold on to the water that we have and don't let new people in, then we today would have a church that only has 16 people, which of course wouldn't be a church. Since I arrived, 215 people have joined this congregation. About a dozen every year on average. We can do better. We need to do better. But it means that we must always make room for new people in our lives and new people in our sanctuary and new people in our schedules and new people in our pews. On Wednesday... I was here at choir practice. By the way, some of you people need to get back in choir. All right. I was here in choir practice on Sunday evening. <laughs> I sit in the back row. I have a nice view. And I was just marveling at the people who were there. When I joined the choir back in 2005, I was 43 years old. Peg Taylor was part of the choir then. I was the youngest guy in the choir. Okay, now... I'm the oldest guy in the choir. We have people in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s. Am I allowed to say in their 70s? In their 70s. All right, 80s and 90s are not excluded. You're welcome in our choir. And you know what? That's how it should be. I was thrilled last Easter, a couple of weeks ago, when we had three generations of the same family singing in the choir together. That's what church is supposed to look like. That's why I came to this church. But for that to keep on happening year after year and decade after decade, that requires that we always keep making room for new people, for young people. And we need to do that without feeling like we old-timers are being pushed out because the new people keep us alive. The church of Jesus Christ is a river, a mighty river. It's not a stagnant pond. So what about the future of Fellowship Presbyterian Church? Let me talk about money first. In 2023, the treasury of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church will take in around $92,000 more than we did before we had Brazilian members. At present, even though all of the money from both services flows through our one HVPC bank account, we do keep separate accounts for the contribution from the Portuguese service, and that money is used to pay Pastor Bruno Sari. Pastor Bruno Sari is paid 100% by the offerings made in the Portuguese service. None of the money given in the English service goes to support Pastor Bruno. I'm sorry, but it just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's just how it is. Our Brazilian members are entirely self-supporting. 
Noel Wolf, who is the elder in charge of our stewardship committee, has done a, a terrific job helping the Brazilians develop a budget to support Pastor Bruno. If giving should fall off with the Brazilian service, Pastor Bruno will have to begin to drive an Uber. But our Brazilian members have been very generous, and they have met the challenge thus far. The Brazilians have also committed to contributing to the general fund of the church, and as more members arrive, we expect to see that amount rise. Fellowship Presbyterian Church also receives donations from other churches in our denomination who are interested in supporting this church plant. So, how much longer will we have Brazilians here at HVPC? And when will Fellowship Presbyterian Church finally move out into its own buildings? Well, the answer to question number one is there will be Brazilians at HVPC until Jesus returns. We have become, by God's unexpected, unanticipated providence, a multicultural church. We offer worship services and Christian education in English and in Portuguese. We have one American pastor. We have one Brazilian pastor. We have both English-speaking and Portuguese-speaking members. We have both English-speaking and Portuguese-speaking elders. This is our present reality, and that reality will continue into the indefinite future. But when will Fellowship Presbyterian Church finally move out? It's a church plant, after all. Here, the thinking of our leadership has evolved in exciting and creative ways. While the core of Brazilians who started this congregation live in northeast Philadelphia, about four miles away, we believe our future Brazilian church plant will not be in Philadelphia, but will actually be further west, perhaps in Collegeville. There is a substantial Brazilian community in that area. A number of HVPC members live in that area. While the drive from northeast Philadelphia is very short, it's very easy to get here, the drive from Collegeville is nearly an hour. Pastor Bruno has meetings every week with leaders he is developing for the new congregation. Every week, Pastor Bruno drives out to Collegeville for prayer meetings and pastoral visits as he develops this core of leaders who can help launch the new church. Bruno and I believe that the Collegeville congregation will be the first of a series of church plants that we launch with HVPC as the mother church, as the incubator, sending out new church leaders as we develop them. It's exciting stuff. And you need to know that other people are noticing what's happening here. Our church was nominated this year for the annual BART Hess Award, our denomination's recognition for innovative and reproducible models of church growth and church multiplication. Two weeks ago, I met with a pastor of a struggling church plant. They're kind of refugees from the PCA. They came looking to me for guidance about how his group might come under our wings and find its way into the EPC. We're on to something here. It's something new and it's exciting, something that will keep us fresh and will keep us strong, but it's also something that's going to challenge us. 
and that will even make some of us afraid. But just as the miracles that God performed in getting the Israelites out of Egypt should have convinced them that he would take care of them and that they would be successful in entering the promised land. I am convinced by the special providences of God that we have seen in these past couple of years that God is leading this congregation forward into a very special and exciting future. And I'm thrilled to be making that journey with you. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, this is your church, and we thank you that you have allowed us to be members of your church. We pray that you would continue to sustain us. Uh, I pray that you would continue to build us and encourage us as we do the hard work of building church here in this neighborhood and even in outlying areas. I pray that you would continue to knit us together as one people. Uh, people who come from different backgrounds and who maybe even speak different languages. I pray that we would be one in Christ, and I pray these things in Jesus' name.